good to be back. Last week, as you uh, knew, I uh, was not feeling well and had almost lost my voice, and it's back. Um, but I tried to sing a few songs, uh, and I wasn't able to do it. Now, those of you who've grown up with me know that I can't sing anyway, uh, but I, I, it makes me cough, but um, enjoyed the worship today for sure. First Timothy chapter 3, First Timothy uh, chapter 3, uh, this is week 14 in Timothy. Um, we spent uh, the majority of our time for the last six or seven weeks uh, in chapter 3 just working on what are elders, what are pastors, uh, why is there a plurality of pastors, what are the qualifications for pastors, uh, why do we have a church in which I am not the, uh, the single authority but only have one vote, how does that work, what does that look like, where do we get that from, and we get that uh, in the scripture. Uh, and we, 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 spent on, uh, we went through First Timothy slowly on purpose. Uh, as a foundational teaching for our church, for what it means when we have future elders. And then we worked on uh, deacons as well, and we did that last week. And, and now we're coming to the conclusion of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. For those of you who've been with us through the 14 weeks, you probably thought we'd never get down with chapter 3. But today, uh, God willing, we will finish it. Although I will say there is a tremendous amount that you could say about verse 16. Uh, but we have limited ourselves as an elder team to uh, this one week. But First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so this is the word of God. And verse 16 says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taking up in glory. This one single verse is believed among most biblical scholars uh, as either an early church hymn or an early church creed. Uh, that is why in your translation it's uh, set apart differently with the way it's typed in. Um, so it would seem, and I'll land, that this is more likely a hymn, something that the church would have sung uh, together. Uh, and so you have what I believe is a hymn, six lines that sweep from the incarnation all the way to Christ's ascension into glory. It is a confession of faith. Something the church has lost, I think, in the uh, desire to be entertaining and the desire to be uh, very seeker-friendly and a desire to uh, be very uh, full of showmanship as we have lost in our preaching an idea that we as Christians hold to a standard set of beliefs about who God is, and we get that from the Scripture. And we've lost the ability to preach that in many cases, and we no longer, um, I would say, drive it into our people what the Word of God says. But after Paul, speaking to his young pastor Timothy, after he goes through all of the theology and the teachings on pastors and deacons, he arrives back at this idea, if you remember in the closing, verses 14 and 15, 
of what it means to behave in the church of God, and that is not behave meaning be a good boy, but instead, this is the structure of the church, and this is how we do things in the church. It's not surprising that he would end that with, let me remind you that the church is the church of the living God and the buttress of truth. And what is that truth? Verse 16 said it. This truth is great indeed, and we confess it. It is the mystery of godliness. Now, this is not a mystery in a way that we would normally define the word mystery. Mystery instead speaks to something that was once secret or hidden or not completely known, but is now clear. This is how the Bible defines mystery. This is not mystery like we define it, like uh, the murder mystery or the old TV show that many of you may not know because you're too young in here, but the old TV show Unsolved Mysteries. That is not uh, what the Bible means here. Instead, it speaks to something that was once hidden and has now been made clear. And that mystery is the plan of God to rescue his children from their sin through the substitutionary death and resurrection of Christ. That plan was at once hidden from the people to completely understand it. It's now been revealed in Christ and is being proclaimed to the people. Now, that does not, however mean that this mystery is easy to understand. What I mean is, the most common thing said to me and my wife, after the people get to know us, is, it is a mystery why Courtney would marry Jason. (laughs) Now, it's not that they don't understand that we're married. It's not that they don't believe that she loves me or that I love her. They're just Blown away by the idea that this would happen. And that is very similar to the confession that we have here. We understand now this hidden plan. We understand through the teaching of the scriptures who Christ is and what he came to do. But it still boggles the mind. It is mind-blowing. Or, in the case for those of you who grew up in church, it should be mind-blowing to you. That Christ would come and rescue for himself a people. We can do the math and we can arrive at the answer of what God's ultimate plan is and was. But we should, as a people, still marvel at it. Why, when you sing songs like what we sang, I hold as a pastor. Not that every person should respond this way. But I hope that in the coming years, we do move a little bit more in the church when we sing songs like He has risen. And our sin is no more because of Christ. That He has paid the price. I hope when we sing things like that, maybe it would stir us up to joy and worship. This hymn would continue with the description of this mystery. And the first description is he, Jesus, was, or God, was manifested in the flesh. John 1, 
1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 3.16. Most of you know that one. For God so loved the world that he gave. Gave who his Son, who took on flesh, who came here to die for us. And so this is very unique to the Christian faith. Most faiths will say, accomplish the list, check off all the boxes, get all the things done, travel to the right location, say the right kinds of things, and then God will accept you. And they spend their whole life attempting to do that. Christian faith is very unique. And then God looks upon his people and says they will never, ever, ever be able to accomplish any kind of a list. They can never reach my holiness. And so what I will do, because of my great love for them, because of the great mercy that I have for them, I will take on flesh and I will come down there and I will dwell among them and I will be tempted as they were tempted and yet I will not fail and I will accomplish the list. And then I will die in their place. That's what it means when it says he was manifested in the flesh. He lived a life we could not live. He died a death he did not deserve to provide for us a reconciliation with the Father that we would never, ever pursue. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. Well, how do you mean vindicated? Some translations might say justified. This Greek word means to declare righteous. Sorry. Trying to keep my voice here. The Greek word means to declare righteous. That does not mean to be declared right because Jesus had been wrong. No, it's not like we're declared righteous because of Christ. What it means is that the Spirit vindicated Jesus' proclamation about himself to those around. We see this in Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1, 1 through 6, Paul says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. Jesus said that he was God. He claimed himself as God. He said he had the power to lay his life down and to take it up again, and he said he would be resurrected in three days, and he was. Yes. And so all that Jesus said about himself is proven right by his resurrection. Listen, if Jesus does not resurrect, if he does not come back to life, then it would be stupid to follow him. It would be the dumbest thing we could ever do. 
Paul even alludes to that later in 1 Corinthians, that we would be the most to be pitied to follow that God. Because he'd be dead. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He took his life back up, just as he said he would. And so the Spirit vindicated him. He overcame death and the grave, and in doing so brought us life through himself. Seen by angels. Angels announced his birth. Angels ministered to Jesus after his temptation. Angels ministered to him in the garden before his crucifixion. And angels announced his resurrection. And even at his ascension, after he went up in the clouds, there were angels that were there that were saying, why are you still looking up here? He's coming back. You have work to do. And we know that angels even long to look into this whole redemption story. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, we'll start with 10. It says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Angels are on, in I guess one way of saying it, angels are on the outside looking in on this drama of sin and redemption. This must be an amazing story and an amazing drama unfolding before their eyes. And they long to look into it. They are not in need themselves of redemption since they have not sinned. But we are. And the love for us that the Father has for us through Christ must be something to marvel at by the angels. And they long to look into it. Proclaimed among the nations. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Matthew 28, 18 through 21, that if you grew up in church or went to very many VBSs, you're well aware of. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the ages. This God who took on flesh, who was vindicated by the Spirit and seen by angels, is being proclaimed among the nations. We are called to do that. Just as they were called then, we are called now. And here's why. In the sovereignty of God, pondering things I cannot wrap my mind around, but in the sovereignty of God, when we proclaim the gospel, which is why we do that every week in this room, 
Every week we try to end the sermon with a call for repentance, for the gospel, because we are called to proclaim it to the nations. And here's why. Because it says here, he is believed on in the world. Acts chapter 4, 1 through 4. I just took this one because there are many, many different verses you could take, but I took this one. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. I love that. <laughs> greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody, in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. I love this. Verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed. You want to grow churches with disciples? Is your real desire to grow a church with disciples? Then preach the word. That's what they did. They didn't need fancy events. They didn't need bounce houses. They didn't need really neat things. They didn't need fog. They didn't need lasers. People say, yeah, we've evolved. Things have changed. We're trying to reach the culture. You know how you reach the culture? You preach the word of God. Because that is how they believe. We've gotten lost in all the other things. And then we wonder why we don't have disciples. Because they haven't believed in God. They believed in a church. Or they believed in events. Or they believed in performances. We need to be people who believe the word of God that is proclaimed to us. And it says in verse 4, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Not women and children, just men alone. And they didn't even count the rest. He has been believed on in the world. One thing I will call our people to hold me and every other elder who ever stands in this pulpit or any other preacher that we ever bring in, hold us to preaching the word of God. Not fads or things that will tickle your ears. Remind us to open this book, read it, and proclaim it. And then this wonderful hymn ends with this. Taken up in glory. Luke chapter 24, 53-53, it says this, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, Jesus blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them, and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Jesus was taken up into glory. These events changed people. It changed the world. You can just about say any name you want to in any public setting or any business meeting you can possibly think of. But when you say the word Jesus, there's tension that gets built in the room. <laughs> It's always been that way. He's changed the world. And many of you believe we have much to hang our hat on with our belief. We grew up in church. 
in a country that was predominantly Christian in nature. I'll say that. We have a lot of history in church. It is pretty difficult to be in America and not have at least heard the name of Jesus. Every Christmas season, every Easter, it's all kinds of things. It's hard to escape. It may not understand it. It may not have been proclaimed well, but at least it's a concept that many in our culture are at least somewhat familiar with. But these people, these people here, this, this is new for them. There's been no apologetic classes yet on how to defend the faith. There's been no seminars yet on how to share your faith. These people instead are just aware of these events or are aware of people who saw the events. And they are forever altered people. They leave and they go back and they are changed forever. And these people, this church in Ephesus, Timothy, and the Apostle Paul, they changed the world as well. Let me just, let me just help drill this down for you for just a moment. You've probably pondered this, but just in case you haven't, you're sitting in this room because a group of people believed this hymn. They believed it. And their lives were altered because of it. And nothing was the same again. And they exhausted their lives for the gospel. You're thinking missionaries and pastors. I'm talking about people. People who went back to the town they lived in and worked their regular job, but were forever different people because of the gospel. It was proclaimed. Because it meant something. It had changed their life. I'm here on a Sunday morning proclaiming the gospel to you because it has profoundly changed my life. Most of you are sitting in this room hearing it proclaimed to you because the gospel has changed your life. These people who sang this hymn, many of them may have left the ascension themselves, rejoicing and worshiping back to Jerusalem where their day-to-day life would continue. But I can assure you it was never the same again because we heard in Acts and we heard in Luke they were continually in the temple blessing God. They believed that what they had seen and heard had life implications for them because they do and they still do for us today. We believe this confession. We believe this. It's a crazy story, isn't it? So let me get this right. You believe that some God out there that you haven't actually seen... He came down here and took on play, born as a baby, uh, grew up and had this flesh thing and, and didn't sin and then died on a cross at the hands of the Roman Empire because of the Jews and the religious leaders who wanted him crucified. 
And then he arose, right? right? That's what you believe. And then you think that he went to a mountain with a group of people, and they hung out for a little bit, and then he floated up to the skies, and he's come back. That's what you believe? Yes. Yep. Yep. It's what I believe. You know why I believe it? Because it has altered my life. I used to feel the weight of sin. I felt the hopelessness of this world. And then I heard a preacher in Gary, Texas, proclaim the gospel to me. And at 12 years old, God took the scales off my eyes. And I saw God for who he was and what he did for me. And I came to faith. And my life has never been the same again. Yes, I believe this confession. I believe this hymn. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Say here, well, what if I don't believe that? Then you are doomed. Because if you will not choose Christ's payment of your sin, then you will choose God's alternative payment for your sin. And that is eternity in hell. Yes, I believe that. Eternally separated from the God who loves you forever. Or you can choose Christ and have your life changed. You don't have to repeat a prayer after me. You don't have to hold a pastor's hand. And we don't need to manipulate the room lighting to get you to do that. Because let me tell you, when you know that you need a Savior, you don't wait for the right moment to get the Savior. And here's what you do to come to know Christ. You do what Jesus said and what the disciples said. You repent and believe. Repent of your sins and believe in Christ. People say, well, how do I know I'm a believer? Because your life will never be the same again. Not perfect, but never the same again. So I'm going to ask us to do something before we enter into the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask you to go to verse 16 of this chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Maybe we can get it back up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. And we're going to read this out loud together. So here we go. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Word of God says, read it with me out loud like you mean it. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Amen. Amen. As Keith comes to begin our taking of the Lord's Supper, I want to remind our people of a few things as we enter into this holy time. Our church practices open communion, meaning that Anyone who proclaims Christ, who is a believer, who is in good standing with their local church, is welcomed at the table of the Lord in this church. We ask you to help your children who might be partaking 
um, if they are believers. And we ask that you would hold your bread and your cup until we all take it together. And then as is the custom of our church in the reading of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. I just want you to listen as I read this. This is a warning to eating the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person then examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. This is a holy thing. A holy thing. And so we as a church always start with a congregational prayer, time of confession and meditation. So for the next few minutes, uh, we're going to just spend some time in prayer. And then Keith will sing a song for us that I think you'll be welcome to join in if you're ready. If you're not ready, you can just hear and listen to the words. He'll be singing a song over us. And as soon as that song concludes, our men will come up to help us serve uh, the Lord's Supper. Let's spend some time meditating before the Lord and asking God to reveal anything in our lives that we need to come.